absolutely ridiculous. Hello everyone, welcome to Around the Course Squash Podcast and today we're delighted to welcome onto the show the founder and the CEO of Squash Busters, Greg Zaff, an absolute legend of a man. Squash Busters is a non-for-profit after-school youth enrichment program that challenges and nurtures urban youth as students, athletes and citizens so that they recognize and fulfill their greatest potential in life. Greg, you're a legend man, thanks for coming on, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks for having me, Arthur. So just before we get into Squash Busters itself, give us a little bit of context about your background into squash. And I think it was a little bit more hardball back in the day. And, yep. and what was the muse for starting Squash Busters off? How did that come about? So I grew up outside of Boston and I had the good fortune of going to a private school, Belmont Hill School. Uh, actually, my mother kind of forced me to go to private school initially. I was reluctant, but I went, and, and it ended up being a phenomenal experience. And the most important thing to happen to me at Belmont Hill was my introduction to squash. You basically had to play sport every season, and I had been a, I was a serious tennis player, but had knew nothing about squash and sort of got introduced to it and started to play and compete and improve. And over the course of my high school years, by the time I got out of high school, I was quite good at it, loved it. It was really important to me and went on um, to play collegiately at Williams for four years, kind of continued to love it more and more and get better and better at it. And by the time I got out of college, which is way back in 1984, I knew I wanted to take a run at pro squash, which back then was a hardball version of squash played in North America, an association called the World Professional Squash Association. And so basically throughout my 20s on a full-time basis, I played pro squash, competed around North America. loved it, did did well, wasn't the very best, but got into solidly into the top 10, even the top five for a while. Um, so it was, it was a big deal for me. And uh, squash was the center of my life in every regard, on and off the court, friendship, health, travel, just learning about my identity. And it was really during pro squash Uh, in my 20s, traveling around North America, playing largely in uh, men's clubs, private men's clubs. There were some public events too, but, you know, by and large, as we all know, this was a very privileged, elitist, white sport in in America. And, um, And yet it's, it was in every city, and very few people had access to it. And so a seed did plant for me about doing more with the game and broadening its reach. And what happened is I sort of, when I got into my late 20s, early 30s, well, late 20s, I went back to graduate school, uh, quite clear that I wanted my career to be in public service. And uh, my final term wrote a paper for an entrepreneurship class. This was 1993. Um, 
and I wrote it, you had to write a paper about starting an organization that would improve and change the world. And I wrote it about starting an urban youth squash program. It was called an urban youth squash program, bringing squash down from its ivory tower. And that helped me think more and develop a plan and, and, and really get into how it might work and what its structure would be. And, you know, didn't do it immediately, but a couple of years after that paper and after graduating from the Kennedy School, I basically just started Squash Busters. Um, that the year was 1995. And that's the prelude to how it all got going. <clears throat> Amazing. How did you go about starting it? Did you have people that believed yeah, in the mission? Yeah, it's, you know, I was very well networked in the Boston squash community, basically knew everybody. And I spent time having coffees with people and talking and picking their brain and then going back to my computer and writing up the plan and, um, you know, how it would work, how many kids it would serve. You had to have a business plan of sorts. You had to have some structure and something to present to people. And I, I would say I crafted it over about an 18-month period, listening to lots of people, taking their temperature. And, um, you know, what was very clear to me um, from the get-go is that it was going to have to be demanding and intensive. And it was going to have to sort of swallow up kids in an experience because there was not going to be dabbling with squash for kids that knew nothing about it. Uh, and they were not going to stick with it. They were either going to have to love the experience, which is not just about squash. It's about community and education and friendship and exercise. But they were either have to going to be all in or it wasn't going to work. And so I set the dosage up for three days a week, all every all school year. And I figured, well, if they're doing three days a week from September to June, they're really into this thing. And there's no, there's no dabbling around. And that was a smart move because kids built and still do a really strong identity around the program. And they change and they grow and they struggle and it's um that's what the whole thing is about really <clears throat> and greg i know um you know individual programs have a little bit of um you know flexibility and, and they do things slightly different but how how much has changed and how much has stayed the same from that from that original kind of you know game plan that you had it's better now you know we've we've got 25 years of experience <laughs> and we we've you know, the academics are, are sharper. We use the summer times more intentionally. We understand a lot about college counseling, about, about the issues that face challenges. We're much more uh, involved and, and honest and open about issues around race and conversation, because this is a racial and economic justice program at the end of the day. This is not a squash program. We use squash to change society and to change kids' lives. So 
we're we're much better um, because we've had experience and we've screwed up a lot and we've we've learned from our mistakes and and we've been educated by by meeting all kinds of amazing people who have taught us and obviously the movement has grown and it isn't you know I started it with 24 middle school kids with no idea if it was even going to work no less grow to high school to college no less move to other cities or build buildings or any of the stuff that's happened um, but the thing that I always say is fundamental to its success to this day is that kids feel loved and respected and appreciated and challenged, period. You do that with kids over and over again, and the program works. Going back to those early days, were you the only staff members? I mean, you were coach, tutor, mentor, counselor, everything, or did you have other people on board right oh. from the start? No, I mean, this thing, it was me and a van and 24 kids. And <laughs> I parked the van outside my apartment. I drove the van and I picked and I taught all the squash and I did part-time hire tutors to run academics and I raised the money and I ran the board meetings and I dealt with insurance people and I had to figure out how to create a nonprofit and interact with attorneys. And I did brochure writing and I dealt with prints to get rackets and on and on and um, did all the family meetings, did all, did everything. And it was a blast and it, we had no money. So you have to grow an organization. You have to have money to grow. So no money, no, no growth. Um, so everything was incremental and I had to kind of keep everything moving forward not just the program, but the whole financial organizational piece, which, which is the underpinning of the program. <clears throat> and what about the squash back then? Because obviously you've, you've talked about having a very successful hardball career, but was it softball from the start? Cause... Softball, yeah, it was softball right, right from the start. Everything had pretty much switched over by the time we got going. So I, I taught, I certainly know enough about softball squash to teach kids how to play. Um, so I was, I was the coach every day. I was the lead coach for several years. I was on the court every day. Um, you know, but I was getting Harvard kids and Tufts kids and I was grabbing volunteers, both academic and squash, wherever I could get them trying to build the community and it's just inter the u.s is a kind of an interesting place in terms of squash because like you said it it, it wasn't really an accessible sport and you know the socioeconomic standing of so many players in the u.s for so long was was really really on the high high end but i think it's also allowed for so many of these programs to pop up because it's it, there's more giving there's more potential for giving in the sport is that is that like kind of what you've seen no absolutely true and it's important to emphasize that it's because of the generosity of the squash community that urban squash has flourished period just amazing community of people 
um, that that have open hearts and that have have made it all work. When you started off twenty five years ago, or just just over that, did you ever vision that it would become what it is today, and that it would inspire so many programs to pop up around around the country and, and now the world as well? No. I had no vision of it. I had no plans for that. And, um, you know, I didn't really do that. I just started Squash Busters. And I did help some programs to the best of my ability. I was very involved in trying to help George start Street Squash when we were kind of the two Lone Rangers. It was once upon a time just Street Squash and Squash Busters. And um, I met George in Israel, I was the Maccabee squash coach in 1997, and he was playing on the team, and Squash Busters was one year in, and I basically talked incessantly about the program while we were together for a month, and he got the bug. He was entering social work school at NYU, and he said, I'm doing it, and for two years, we kind of, you know, he created Street Squash, and I told them whatever I knew, and and that launched the second Urban Squash program, and and so on. And then Philadelphia came online, and then the Bronx one year later, and then you know it just started to roll. Yeah, I've gotten such a good firsthand kind of experience here, um, working a little bit with some of the players at a Street Squash, but just I'm coaching at Columbia, and we have great partnership with them, so I'm there every day and get to interact with George and Simba and the whole Street Squash team. And so I've talked to Tim Wine a bunch about this too. And kind of in your eyes, like where do you see, you know, the some of the future of of urban squash going and 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 you know we've talked about you know how cool would it be to to have a urban squash national champion in the u.s and more professional players and how do you see that that coming along do you think that's something that's uh going to be going to be possible down the road well i think there's a couple of big things that that i hope happen one is continually continuing to improve programming, right? Just getting better at what we do um, on the squash court and off. That's very, very important. Um, number two is finding ways to teach and inspire our alumni to not just get involved as staff members, because that's happening big time already, but to carry the leadership torch. The next generation of urban squash leaders needs to be our alumni, and it also needs to be more people of color. So we have to, just like society has to diversify at the top, so does urban squash. It's absolutely essential. And the third thing which is related to that, um, and has never been more important. And, and frankly, something I don't think we've done so well at is we have to use our program and our movement to start convening discussions about race and equity in America, not just run youth programs and help kids of color do better for themselves, but start bringing people together, white kids, black kids, adults, people of privilege, et cetera, 
to talk about what the hell is going on in the United States and how do we do better and become a United States because we're not united and we're divided largely and always have been around race and money. And, and I got into this really to try to address some of those issues through a sport that I love. Um, and I don't think we've been, we've done enough on that one. And that's hard, complex, scary work. I don't really know how to do that work except just be honest and talk, but we got to have it because it's out there. We sure know it's out there now. It's always been out there. And so that's another hope I have that, and I would say we will be unsuccessful as an, or as a movement if we don't take that on. What's the impact of the, the last sort of almost 12 months now being on the programming? Are you get guys able to still offer your, your programming to kids? Are they still coming to facilities in Boston and down in Providence? Or is that all had to come to an end? We, we had been running in-person programming, both <clears> with squash and lots of activities off the court. Because the, the, the real secret sauce for us is being together with kids in person, not on a computer. We, we moved to virtual about two weeks ago because of the infection rates just going up. And we just didn't think that it was prudent to keep bringing kids together and them possibly getting sick or getting their parents sick. So we're now doing Zoom clubs for the time being in areas of social justice, yoga, uh, we have cooking, we have a gaming club, so we have fitness, we have tutoring, you know, private tutoring. We're, we're continuing, of course, with all the college support. But as soon as we see an opening to get back together, we're going to do it. And we are getting together with kids in a limited way, just taking walks, just, you know, one, one or two kids at a time with a staff member just to get them out of their houses, because we all need that. It's just, it's, it's grim staring at a computer screen all day long. So we're, we're hanging in there and, you know, we're trying to raise the money to, we, we haven't laid anybody off. We haven't reduced salaries. We've, we got almost 30 people employed across the three cities. Um, it's tough. We got to, you know, that's what I do. I hustle all day long to get people to contribute and uh, to keep them, keep them a part of the community so we can stay alive. <clears throat> so in, in years up until now, you know, these fundraising events, you know, uh, in three locations, the mashup in Lawrence, the rumble in, Providence and the Derby, the Derby in, in Boston, and they've all had team events. You've had some of some of the greatest players in the world attend these events and act as team members and, and pro players and captains. What? How have you adapted the format this year? We've come up with this idea. We saw this coming last summer, and we started to, to the development team uh, started creating this concept that. It's basically a virtual challenge event organized around our three pillars of college character and health. And players 
still have web pages and they fundraise as they did in the past. But instead of playing squash, they complete challenges and they score points for challenges completed. Things like taking a polar plunge, which you're going to do, Arthur, in the next week or so, right? Can't wait. Super excited. Yeah. It might might get me a few hairs on my chest, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Get get ready. Um, You know, biking 25 miles, uh, buying a product from a minority-owned business, giving blood, dancing with a loved one in the living room. The all all under college character and health, reading a, a, a book that you've never read before, um, helping a squash buster student with his or her resume, participating in a podcast on racial injustice. These are some of the challenges. Uh, it happens over a two-week period, and you score points. You have to give video or, or a photo proof that you did the challenge. And so we did this for the mashup um, and people loved it. And several people said it was better than the original thing because it was more mission aligned and they, and they had fun. You know, people want to get out and have fun period. (laughs) It's, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good event. And, and we're, we're going with it all year. We're going to, we're, Coming up, you know, we kick off the Rumble next week, and then the Derby comes in in May, and the mashup uh, for Lawrence, it was very successful. It was successful from a fundraiser. It almost did the same amount of money as last year. Oh, that's amazing. One of the things that you touched on earlier, the secret sauce is being together in person. And I could just imagine at a time like this, these virtual challenges is... I suppose the best that could possibly be done given the hand that we're all dealt with to keep the community together, to do challenges together and maybe create a bit of banter. Huh? You know, you jumped into the, it was a colder day for me when I jumped into the sea. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Yeah. I just want to make sure Arthur doesn't jump in a hot tub and say it's cold and pretend <laughs> it's a polar plunge, Greg. We just... Well, he's got to show video proof of it. So that yeah. won't work. Ooh. We want a temperature reading on that video. Yeah, well. there's going to be steam. <laughs> going to be steam coming off the tub. It has to be a natural body of water. <laughs> okay, good. Let's keep them honest. So my bathtub won't work. No, not going to work. <laughs> Twenty-five mile bike rides, like uh, he's like, oh, I'll just do a hundred miles. You know, he doesn't you get, care about that. You get that. double points, Arthur, if you can convince Habib to join you. <laughs> All right, I tell you what. I'll drive up to New Hampshire and, and, and bring him in. <laughs> uh, and so just before we wrap up, Greg, is how can people donate to the cause for the program? Well, the simplest way to donate is to go on our website, squashbusters.org, and press the donate button. That's pretty That's simple. Donate. But if you want to uh, donate to the Rumble, um, there is a Rumble link on our homepage that will take you to the, to the Rumble website. And then you can find a player like yourself and make a contribution. Cool. Well, on the, on the podcast notes, which you'll see when you, on the page and where, where you download on your platform, you're going to see a, a link for the Squash Busters website and where you can donate for the Rumble. And then you can obviously take a peek around and see some of the stuff in more depth and have some visuals of what's going on. 
keep up to date with the news and events that they're running throughout the course of the year and the years ahead. And the, the more money you donate, the colder your ice bath is, right? Is that how it works? That's right. <laughs> no, the warmer. If you, if you donate a lot, you can take a hot bath. I was thinking for Arthur, the more people, the more people donate, the colder Arthur's ice bath is. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I'll, I'll jump into the Antarctic Ocean if it raises yeah. a lot of money. You just got to keep. You just got to keep driving north. The more donations that come in. <laughs> well, Greg, you know, like I said at the start, you're a legend. One of the most inspiring guys I've ever met. I always love listening to you speak. And, Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, yeah, great to great to finally meet you, Greg. <laughs> Good to meet you too, Chris. Bye, Stuart. Cheers, Greg. Cheers, man. You guys have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. There you go, Greg Zaff. What a legend. If you would like to learn more about Squash Busters or would like to find out ways in which you can make a contribution to their organization, you can check them out at squashbusters.org. All right, so to finish up with today's show, we also have uh, Charlie Blasberg's new song, Moving On. And this was released on Friday, January 15th. And if you like it, check him out. You can reach him and find him on all the usual platforms, Spotify, iTunes, etc., etc. All right, cheers. It's nights like these when I start to think
from here Because I thought I'm moving on 